1: This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I want to thank you for joining us this morning for Reconciling Grace as we discuss another topic of biblical importance, topical importance, maybe a little bit of both. Joining me today on our panel are Steve Wilson, who is a Christian author with a Master's of Divinity degree from United Theological Seminary. Mick Wells, who is the co-host of the Cross Connection Radio Program and who's been a member of Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980, and Vicki Cundiff, who is an associate pastor at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. Folks, it's great to have you with us today, and I'm going to be the one kind of leading the discussion today. The question or the topic is going to be this. It's going to be the law of God written on stone Or on hearts and I'd like to start by just having us read a few scriptures and I've kind of divvied those up a little bit let's start out with uh, having the scripture read from Exodus 24 12 and I think Mick I gave you that one
2: yes uh, the word tells us the Lord said to Moses come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction and then, Vicky, if you would read Exodus 31, 18, please.
0: When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God.
1: And then, Steve, how about Deuteronomy 27, verse 8?
0: You shall write very clearly all the words of this
3: law on these stones you have set up.
1: So is there any question, according to these scriptures, that the law of God was written on stone. No. No, not at all. It's very clear from those scriptures. Um, Those were the Ten Commandments that that God had written. Uh, He inscribed them, and then uh, in Deuteronomy, they were again inscribed after Moses had actually broken the first tablets. So the law of God is written in stone. But then we get to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prophesying here, and
2: what happens in Jeremiah 31-33? Mick, would you read that, please? Sure. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then, Vicki, that is kind of uh, almost said almost word
1: for word not quite word for word again in hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 would you read that for us please
0: but this is the new covenant i will make with the people of israel on that day says the lord i will put my laws in their minds and i'll write them on their hearts i will be their god and they will be my people
1: and even closer to those exact words we find the words in hebrews ten sixteen. and steve what does that say
3: this is the covenant i will make with them after that time says the lord I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds.
1: So is there any question that God has made a covenant with his people, or maybe we should say that God said he would make a covenant with his people, as it was um, said in Jeremiah and also in Hebrews, that the laws of God would be written in people's minds and hearts. Is there any question about that or any discussion about that?
0: No. No, no question
1: at all. So maybe the question comes down to is, was what Jeremiah said fulfilled or is that still to come? And my premise is that I believe it was fulfilled with that new covenant when Jesus came and died and was raised from the dead when he atoned for our sins. I believe that the law of God is written in the heart of Christians. Now I'm going to do something just a little bit different uh, today. I don't like to do a lot of reading when when I'm doing these programs, but as I was researching this, I came upon something, and I have to be very honest with you. It was a document that I had in some of my notes from the year 2012, and I'm not exactly sure where it came from. I didn't notate who wrote it or whatever. I think some of it was my own writings, but also in response to something that somebody else had written. And I didn't notate what it was, so I hope that something that was written maybe uh, six years ago is still pertinent today. But the question was asked, are Christians bound to follow the Old Testament law? And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, this is what I believe was me writing this. It says, have you ever noticed that many Christians who believe and testify to the fact since it is not possible to follow the Old Testament law and that they are therefore saved by God's grace alone, often tend to act as though they remain in God's favor by trying to follow the law. And then somebody else, I think, must have responded here and said something along the lines, well, it doesn't seem terribly out of line, does it? And then, Mick, this is where this person... Um, quoted the scripture
2: from romans two thirteen. would you read that for me please sure for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in god's sight but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous
1: and the passage that i have with uh, romans two thirteen 13 um, says the 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 translation that i have i should say says but it is the doers of the law who will be justified and then the end of the previous verse right before that though says all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law i didn't have you read that but that's what it says right before paul said that he said all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law so here we go again this is something that i think i probably wrote and was responding to and it says this so let's put it together all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And again, those are not my words. I was just quoting scripture there from Paul. And then I said this: the same Paul who authored those words also authored these words as found in Galatians two, nineteen and twenty-one. And Vicky, I believe I'm going to have you read that one.
0: For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing.
1: Christ died for nothing if righteousness comes to the law. So it seems that Paul is saying here that we are to die to the law, but we can't stop there. We are to die to the law because as you just read, ricky it says in order to live for
2: god does anybody have any comments on that doesn't the scripture tell us that when when we get to looking at whether or to what extent does the law apply to us today and and i didn't get a citation for this but doesn't the scripture say somewhere that the law we have the law to make us conscious of sin Yes, it does. Paul
1: talked about Mm -hmm. that. He talked about that when uh, he said, for instance, I would not have known what it meant to covet until the law came along that says do not covet and said then I was filled with every kind of covetous
2: desire. In my mind, that speaks for its purpose in the um, New Covenant. Not that we would go out, find the laws, and and try to meticulously follow them to prove that we are... um, to try to be saved, if you will, but it's it's to make us conscious of God's values on how to live our lives. That's kind of how I see it. And I I don't want to get a sidetrack, Pete, but when we talk about law, are we talking specifically of the Ten Commandments? Because there was a lot of other law in the Old Testament. Do you distinguish, for example, between the 10 commandments as the law versus all these things that we find in the old testament which may be ceremonial well the uh the traditional jewish
1: word would be the torah which um or the Pentateuch, I guess, is what we call it. it. Should be the first five books of the Bible, and there was more to it than just the Ten Commandments in there. Um, there were all kinds of codes that followed and explanations that followed. And so, when I'm thinking of the law, I'm thinking of the Old Testament uh, in its entirety, for the most part, which does include the Ten Commandments.
2: Okay. You no, know,
0: the law just wasn't about a list of rules to be obeyed. It was basically the book of Leviticus is a book of holiness, and God was trying to show them what sin was, which Paul explains, as we were saying earlier in the seventh chapter of, uh, of uh, Romans, you know, about coveting. And he said, I wouldn't have known what, that that was wrong, you know, if not for that. And so God gave this uh, list of all these different things that said, you know, all kinds of sexual immorality things that He gave, or, or that you don't lie, or this is how you treat your neighbor, because they didn't know the difference of what sin was. And so it's about right living. And, you know, even with the law given, the law was given after Abraham, but yet Abraham, he's uh, credited with faith and righteousness, you know, because he loved God and obeyed God. And so that's the essence of what the law was for, was to show you this is what sin is, and this is what holy living
1: looks like. you have anything you'd like to add, Steve, or you're just sitting there pondering? or
3: I. I think it would be a lot easier if the Old Testament did still apply in all its entirety, because then we wouldn't have these questions. We, we could say, okay, yeah, none of us could follow the law. We couldn't do it. So another way of salvation had to be presented to us, and that was Christ. So, okay, we don't rely on the law to save us, but there's still God's words that's still scripture. Those are still good principles to live by. Is there any harm in me going ahead and follow through with those?
1: I think that that's exactly where where we understand. You used the word, in my my understanding, uh, goes along with that because this is what God wants. This is what God tells us in order to to be like me in order to follow my holiness. You used the word holiness there, Vicki. In order to, to be holy as I am holy, uh, which the Bible tells us is also something that we should do, be holy because God is holy. These are the ways that, that you can do it by living these ways. However, I guess where, where I was going with this whole idea was that a lot of people tend to think, okay, I'm saved by grace. But now I've got to work hard to follow all those laws, and they don't really surrender themselves to Christ. Instead, they're trying to follow the laws in their own strength that maybe Christ gives them. And we're going to get a little bit more into this as we move on, but right now we do need to take a break for our sponsor. We'll be right back with this next part of today's episode of Reconciling Grace. this is Pete Vecchi back with you with our episode of Reconciling Grace today, where we are discussing the law of God written on stone or hearts. Again, joining me today are Steve Wilson, Mick Wells, and Vicki Cundiff. And we were just talking about the fact that, uh, People need to be able to die to the law, but that would be in order to live for God by not striving so hard to follow all the dictates of the law is written in the Old Testament, but rather surrendering to God more and more. And I was reading some notes before that somebody else had written again. I don't think that these were my words here. This is what somebody else said in a conversation. It says, this issue has been debated for centuries. The heart of the matter, as far as I can see it, is that it is God's purpose that the Torah might be fulfilled in us. The Torah was not able to empower us to follow it, though. It did offer a way for atonement within its own framework, but not for keeping it. And then Paul explained the following in Romans 8, 3, and 4. And Steve, I think you're going to read that for us.
3: It says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And as I'm reading this, I'm I'm seeing lowercase l as law. And that's kind of the confusing thing about this conversation is, when we read scripture, uh, we have to remember that there was no capitalization in the original uh, languages. So, you know, a lot of times we think of the law as being the Old Testament, or maybe even more specifically, the Ten Commandments, like uh, Mick was getting to. Those are capital L, and then when we talk about the law of God, um, maybe we're thinking more about... uh, lowercase l as in the principles of God like in uh, Galatians 6 2 it talks about the law of Christ which would be uh, the principle that Christ would have us live uh, live toward live by so we we have to basically just um, make sure we understand that when we're talking about the law of God written in our hearts we're not talking about the entire Old Testament law being written in our hearts being still um, something that Christians need to follow it's it's more the principles of God written in our hearts through the Holy Spirit
1: it kind of shows us what God is like maybe is that would be a, a way of saying that the Old Testament law as it applies to Christians is not something that we have to follow every I think as it says in the King James every jot and tittle but that we need to Follow the principles laid out there because that's kind of what uh, what it means to follow a holy God by by living a life of holiness. Would that be kind of a good way of putting it?
3: Yeah, I think maybe even uh, kind of summarize what I was saying. The uh, capital L Law of God, Old Testament, follows the little l Law of God. So right, it shows what God is like, um, and for them, it fulfilled a, a certain purpose. And in us, the Holy Spirit shows us what God is like in, uh, in maybe a clearer way.
1: We can get into the weeds with all this stuff. You know, I, when I say get into the weeds, I mean just dig in and dig in and dig in. Um, and I'm one of these guys, and I think, Mick, you're even more so than I am, about wanting to analyze and dig into these things and really try to figure it all out. And um, I've I've come to realize that theologians and theologians, I should say, and biblical scholars can just really dig into this, you know, yes, but what is the meaning of meaning, you know, or something like that. And uh, what about the average Christian? And there's nothing wrong with being average. I like to say that, you know, half of all the people we know are below average, most likely, because average means average. And not everybody is a biblical scholar. Not every Christian is a biblical scholar. God wants to communicate to everybody you know I don't think that the vast majority of people in any given congregation in any given worship service are, are deep biblical scholars now there's nothing wrong with that you know there's nothing wrong with people studying the Word of God all of us have studied in ministry uh, at some point in time and and, and, and gone to um, school to learn these things and that's important that's that, that some people do it but not every Christian is going to do it and I need to make that clear. Um, And and what I like to get at was that sometimes it's that old acronym that I think I've shared with you all before is I have to remember the acronym about this when it comes to things theological. The acronym is KISS, K-I-S-S, which means keep it simple, stupid. That's me. I have to think about that because not everybody wants to dig into those weeds the way I want to. And so here's kind of the way that I have... uh, been able to, if you wanna say flesh it out a little bit, maybe summarize it in this way. I've realized that the simplest way of describing the essence of sin is selfishness. What does that mean? Part of selfishness means that I want my way instead of wanting God's way. Well, part of me says, well, in order to follow God, I've got to earn it. I've got to do something to make sure that I'm doing the right thing before God. And isn't part of selfishness, therefore, a reliance on self-sufficiency and personal efforts, even in attaining a relationship or a closer relationship with God? To me, that's part of what the issue is. But yet, to be a Christian is really to rely on Jesus Christ alone, isn't it? I mean, what do you guys think of that or ladies think of that?
0: Well, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God said, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And, of course, that happens when we repent of our sins and invite Christ into our heart, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from that sin, and that's where the change uh, takes place. And then we actually have the power of God now living within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, so this spirit of rebellion, or the sin, is replaced now with a spirit of obedience. Because we need to remember that in the New Covenant, obedience is still required. Because Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love Me, you'll obey My commands. And see, that's the essence of why we serve God and obey God, is because we love Him and we want to please Him. So we have the Holy Spirit within us now that we don't have to look at a list of rules Not that we're not supposed to obey the commands of God, but we're not really looking at it. We're having that intuition and that uh, prodding of the Holy Spirit that is influencing us and teaching us because uh, that scripture said, uh, I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart or a teachable heart. So we are just changed completely different because now we have the Spirit of God to lead us now uh, through not having this hard heart anymore or obeying because we feel like this is what we need to do but we want to.
1: To me, it's one of those things where I can't stress this enough, that the Holy Spirit living within us makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Because Jesus said that before he went away, before he died, before he was uh, resurrected and ascended into heaven, he told the disciples that he would send them the Holy Spirit who would lead them into all truth. And that was for believers. That's for people who believe. I believe, and I think probably all of us in this room believe that when the Holy Spirit enters into our lives, he truly makes a difference in our lives. He makes a difference in how we understand things. And so instead of trying to follow God and please God by following the rules, I like to look at it as a relationship. You know, doesn't the Bible say that we have been adopted into God's family as his children? And... You know, as, as, as most of us here are parents, do we want our children to show that they, that they are our children by following all the right rules? Or do we want them to love us? Right. Do we want them to? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's nice if they do things that we like. It's nice if they follow what we want them to do. But it's not because we're going to kick them out of the family if they break this rule. Right. It's that we want them to love us because we love them. And isn't it a wonderful way of looking at it as how we are part of God's family because we have been adopted and that Holy Spirit living within us is what makes it, it what makes it so. We don't have to follow the rules. This is why I believe Paul said, I died to the law. But I don't want to stop with that. I also want to say I died to self. Because if I die to the law and I die to self, then I can live for Jesus. You know, Pete,
0: um, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And the essence of the law, when he sums up the Ten Commandments with two, the essence of the law is love God and love people. And so if you look at the law and you read in Leviticus and all this, you see that that's the essence of what he was talking about, trying to show people how to treat people, how to live for him, how to worship. He had all these feasts and all these different things that they were supposed to do, teaching them how to worship and teaching them how to live a godly, holy life. And so when he says, I've come to fulfill it, you know, as we were saying, through the Holy Spirit's power now living within us, we are going to exercise that worship. We're going to love God and love people. So gone are the sacrifices because Jesus was the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And there's no need for feast days anymore because we've got the church, you know. And so that's where we worship and, and learn more about, you know, God as well. And circumcision, there was no need for that anymore because circumcision was that outward sign that showed that they belonged to God, but now we have the Holy Spirit as that seal. So in essence, we're supposed to still obey those things of how to treat people, worship, and all these things, but we're doing it now from that love relationship through the Holy Spirit's power that's living within
1: us. Yeah, that's a fantastic way of putting it um, because I think, Steve, you used the word before that instead of law, capital L, that these things that are written down for us as Christians serve as principles to show us how to love God and and, and um, how to fulfill that law of love for God and for each other. So, you know, the point is for me that, um, as I said, we are empowered to do these things not on our own strength, mm-hmm. but it's only the Holy Spirit living within us. And if you look at the Bible, um, the difference that the Holy Spirit made, for instance, in Acts chapters 1 and 2, you know, this group of timid disciples who didn't know what to do except hide in the upper room. And when the Holy Spirit was first given, all of a sudden, boom, you know, 3,000, I believe it says, were saved in that first day because they all of a sudden spoke with boldness. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, we have a few minutes left here. Does anybody else want to uh,
2: say anything about this before I, I kind of tie things up here? I just wanted to add, Pete, when you talked about This just occurred to me, you talk about the KISS principle. I've always been amazed at how God meets people where they are. I mean, I heard a story years ago about, behind the Iron Curtain, the authorities, the Communist authorities over there, purposely placed in in pastoral positions, people of low intelligence, and yet the Word of God was honored by God, and the gospel flourished, and people were saved, and there was great spiritual success, not because there wasn't a very high-learned leader of a congregation, but the Lord honored His Word coming through people who just shared it. And uh, I've heard of people who are like, are like children, even though they're adults. They're, they have childlike mentality, but they can understand. Uh, the Gospel in its purest sense, that Jesus is Lord, and no matter how many questions we have, some of us, um, well, like myself, I have a lot of questions, but the Lord seems to deliver and share the truth with us on the level we are. He enables some who might you might not think could accept and live uh, based on the message of the gospel. And he, he reaches others who have uh, kind of an inquisitive personality. He meets us where we are, and I think a subject like this uh, is proof that uh, God's truth comes through to to all of us because he loves us all and is not willing that any should perish.
1: Right, I think you and I both, Mick, have that analytical mind, and and I, I I've worked with Steve and I've seen that analytical mind in him. Vicky, I haven't worked with you that much. Do you think you have kind of an analytical mind or or somewhat? <laughs> well, you know, I guess in in order to to get through all these uh, classes that we had to get through in order to to get our, our credentials and stuff, we had to have a little bit of a mind like that. And let me just close with with this idea, because I think it just kind of dovetails with what you said. I've said this before, not necessarily here, but I've said it before in other settings. And let's see if I can remember how I said it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so deep that even the greatest theologians will never fully understand it. But it is so simple that even a child can accept it. That's one of the things that I'd like to say about that. And you know, as I said, we've been here today with uh, Vicki Cundiff, with Mick Wells, Steve Wilson, and I'm Pete Vecchi. If you'd like to contact us about anything that you'd like us to talk about on Reconciling Grace, you can send us an email. Send it to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. Lord willing, we'll be back with you next time on Reconciling Grace.
0: This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.